this entire sanctuary. Can we just lift our hands and voices and give the Lord thanks this morning? God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your spirit, for your movement. Hallelujah, that you touch and work in our lives. Hallelujah, Lord, we lift our voices. Speak words of thanksgiving and praise. God, what a great God that you are. How good you have been to us. How you have blessed us. Lord, I worship you today. I praise your name today, Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. 2020 is a year where... uh, There have been a lot of complaints in this year, (laughs) a lot of grumbling in this year. Of course, there's been a lot to happen, right? But when I think uh, of, of the people of God, if there's anybody in this world that should have hope and have joy and in peace, regardless of what's going around us, is those who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, those that understand that this world is not our home. Amen. We are here temporary. Amen. And from the church, there should always be praise and worship and thanksgiving because we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, but He has made us alive. Anybody have praise and thanksgiving and joy for what the Lord is doing today? Amen, amen, amen. What a wonderful presence of the Lord is here, and thank you to our our praise team. Thank you, Brother Gaddy, for doing a great job speaking the word of the Lord. And uh, so thankful for all that have played a part of this. Sister Gates, Brother Molina, their teams, everything that's put on here, that we can come and that we can open our heart to what the Lord is doing. And I'm so thankful that you're here on behalf of myself. Sister Russell, our executive vice president, we are so thankful that you have opened your heart to Urshan and to come and be with us this week. Amen. Amen. So the hour is late, so I'm going to get right into the word of the Lord. How many will ask the Lord to speak to us in just the next few moments? Would you lift your voice and do that before we're seated? Lord, we thank you. We know your word. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. It's designed to order our steps. Lord, we open our hearts and our minds right now. We want to receive what you have for us. God, we not only want to receive it, we want to hear it. We want to be doers of your word. We want to be transformed. Let your word renew our minds today and our commitment and our resolve to follow you and to serve you. We ask it in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Have you ever felt like you were backed into a corner and there was no way out? That you were put on the spot And if there was the proverbial escape hatch, you would pull that lever that would allow you to get out of that situation. That uh, you're looking for the bing and the free to move around the country uh, to get out of of whatever it might be. A no-win situation. Anybody ever been there? It's it's almost like, uh, you know, when somebody asks you, do I look good in this dress? Or, Or, what do you think about my hairstyle? Or... Or, you know, I feel like I put on a few pounds. What do you think? You know, and you're like, oh, how how do I answer this? Jesus knew what it was like for people to try to put him on the spot. And constantly trying to back him in the corner, trying to disrupt his ministry. Disruption always leads to division, which keaps from building and leads to scattering. 
Mark, the 12th chapter is one of these cases where it says that then they sent to him. There's an agenda. They're sending. This is not something that just happens. This is not something uh, that happens spontaneously. They are sent, some of the Pharisees and the Herodians, to catch him in his words. See, there's the agenda right there. They want to catch Jesus in his words. When they come to them, he said, Teacher, we know that you're true and care about no one. For you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. They're, they're building him up. We, we know that you tell the truth no matter who's there. You, you don't back down. You don't shy away. You don't care about anybody that's in the room. You're not intimidated. You're going to speak the truth. So they're, they're setting this high bar of expectations that you, know, you sort of have to live up to. And it says, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. So they brought it, and he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. This passage sort of reveals the standard operating procedure of Jesus' opponents. They want to trip him up. They want to catch him in his words, as the text says. To create a scandal whereby he would lose public support and his followers would go. And so you see this, not only is the text just making it clear, but you see even in the alliances that have taken place. The Bible says the Pharisees and the Herodians, they are actually working together. And when you get them working together, that's because they have a common enemy that has united them. The Pharisees are very nationalistic. They're concerned about the law. The Herodians, they are, as in their name, clients of Herod. And they want, they want uh, the restoration of Herodian rule in, in, in Judea where Pilate is currently governing. And they, they don't want anything to disrupt that. And they don't want any uprisings that would cause Rome to tighten their grip in the land. And so they initiate this conversation. And they start it by flattering him. Oh, Jesus, you speak the truth. You don't, it doesn't matter who's in the room. You're going to tell it like it is. And then they ask a question. Because when people build up expectations, you almost feel like you have to live up to it, right? Anybody ever have somebody build up expectations and then it didn't live up to its advertising or its billing? You know, people tell you about the best restaurant ever. And your, your expectations are so high and then you're disappointed when you go. When, when we were evangelizing years ago, we were in a, a town where the pastor, knew, knowing we were from Chicagoland area, Brother Gaddy will appreciate that. He, he said, we have a local Chicago-style pizza place here in town. And I was very surprised. I was a long way, over a 1,000 miles away from Chicago. And, uh, and he says, I don't know if we have somebody that originally was from Chicago and moved out here and opened up shop, but we have a local Chicago style. And here's what we're going to do on the Sunday night at the end of revival. We are going to bring Chicago style pizza. Now, I had been gone from home for probably six weeks to two months. So the idea of Chicago style pizza, uh, and, and I'm sorry for those that live close to St. Louis and Emo's is not really real pizza, if, if you don't know that. And so, uh, so we were looking forward. And this was at the beginning. This is Wednesday night. And that's when we have church Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And so, man, I'm looking forward to it, looking forward to it. And we get to Sunday night, and he has been building it up. And he walks in, and he sets the box on the table, and it said, Little Caesars. Oh. 
and I'm, I'm glad you're happy. I know that there are people who are not, you know, live in, in unprivileged areas that, that, that Little Caesars is as good as it gets. But I mean, and, and he thought it because at that time, Little Caesars uh, cut it up into small squares like they did in some of the Chicago style pizza. But I, my heart sank because he didn't know, no, this is a chain. And uh, this is not Chicago-style pizza. This, this is what, what happens when those expectations are built up. And so you feel like you have to, to, to rise to the challenge. And Jesus is there. And, and they built it up. And then here's what they say. We want to talk to you about taxes. Now, this is one of those no-win situations. Um, when you go home for Thanksgiving, if you want to mess your family up, mess your time up, start talking about politics or taxes or many other things, and you can actually blow your family up in minutes, right? And so this is the, the subject, taxation. Our heart falls. Now, how many, when you got your first check, the very first check, because I, I remember this happening to me, that very first check, I calculated how much I was had made, and when the check came, my heart fell because of how much they took out of it. Anybody remember that sinking feeling? How many still sort of get a little bad attitude about that right now? Yeah. Taxes. And so Jesus, he's been built up. We want to talk to you about something. Let's talk taxes. Now, this is a no-win situation. Taxes, Roman taxation, you have to realize they were under Roman rule, and the Jews were required to pay tribute to the emperor. Uh, in fact, the birth of Jesus, we see this historically in the account. It is tied to a census, which census is tied to taxes. In Caesar Augustus, a census went out through all the land uh, to, to go and to be counted, to be taxed. This is, is, is at the surrounding of his birth. So here, all these years later, it's still a big deal because 2,000 years later, it's still a big deal. And, and there were multiple thoughts there. The zealots, they, they refused to pay taxes. The zealots, they felt like to pay taxes was to admit that Rome is ruling. And we, we refuse to acknowledge that. And then the Pharisees, they didn't like it, but they didn't actively oppose it. The Herodians, they didn't have any problem with it at all. As long as Rome is happy and we can have rule. And so here you have two groups coming together, and there are others there to talk about this very sensitive situation to catch Jesus in his words. The hypocrisy is there. Jesus recognizes the hypocrisy. This has been brought together. It is a setup. They've united for this. You have to realize in the ancient world, if you were to talk about coins, and, and this happens with Jesus, Jesus asks for a denarius, yeah, a, a coin that would bear the image of the emperor. Now, if you think about it, in, in the time that was taking place here, uh, Jewish Palestine circulated copper coins, and uh, they admitted the image because they didn't want to put an image on their coins. Because if we go back to the Ten Commandments, we understand no, no graven image. And the idea of idolatry or submission or, or that somebody was ruling us but God, we won't bow. This is the Hebrew children. We're not bowing. And so they would put that hair to Antipas. He avoided any image on coins because it was such a sensitive issue. It could lead to revolt. And, and there's this question that if it's on the coin... It's on the coin that it would become that you're in submission. So this is brought to Jesus. And he is dealing with this in the moment. And he says, well, bring, bring to me that image. In fact, that, that image there, icon. He, he acknowledges, he asks them, whose image 
is on this coin. And they say, well, this is Caesar. And so Jesus says, okay, then give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Paying your taxes, while we might all want to disagree about how much we should pay, we have a responsibility. We pay our taxes, and the roads hopefully are taken care of, and the infrastructure, and, and our, our protection, our defense, all of that. Jesus would teach that. Paul would teach that, that there is this role for it. But what's, understand, what's critical to our understanding and our purposes is that when he asked for it, he, the, in fact, we're wondering where did they get the coin. They went and got the coin, whether they had it on them or they had to go get the coin. That becomes the question. And to them, he brings it, and it's about submission. It's about whose image is on it. And, and his, is Caesar really in control? Is Caesar the ruler? That, that is the debate. And what will Jesus say? And so Jesus just says, okay, there are some things that are Caesar's. Give it to him. Give him his taxes even if you don't like it. But for our purpose today, we have to realize that this was a matter of worship to them. And recognition of power, authority, of lordship. Who's the king? Who's in charge? Who rules the land? This is why, for us, I want to focus on the latter part of that. Give to Caesars those things are Caesars. But, give to God the things that are God's. When you go and you work, hopefully you have good jobs, whatever you're doing, and make money. You're going to pay your taxes and be good citizens and, 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 and do your part to be a good citizen. We should represent the Lord. And whatever we do, whatever God has called us to do, we should do it with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. It should honor God and impact people. But, but he says, also, don't forget. While we might give to Caesar what Caesar's, don't forget God. Genesis 1.26 says it like this. God said, let us make man... In our image, according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. The only distinction in creation is male and female from God. This is the human race. From one blood, every nation. You know what makes us valuable? It's not our gifts. It's not our abilities. It's not our charisma. It's not how we look on the outside. It's that every one of us is created in the image of God. We are his children. We are all brothers and sisters. The division that takes place in this world is not pleasing to God and it is not of God. Because when it comes in the church, there's not Jew nor Gentile. The only distinction is male and female in the church of the living God. We are in his image and his likeness. What we witness in the world today, I, I want you to know this is not how God designed it. This is not God's plan. When we see about uh, murder or uh, the selfishness or the hatred or the jealousies, the things that are taking place. That, this is not what God had in mind. This was not the vision of the Lord. You want to know that, what, what His desire is, it's love, joy, peace. It's the fruit of the Spirit. We live in a fallen world and sin has had its impact and its effect. 
Sin has changed so many things. And Jesus came to purchase us. Why? Where He could restore us, sanctify us. That Ephesians 4.24, that we would put on the new man, which was created according to God, righteousness and holiness. That we would grow, uh, Ephesians 4.13, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. This is what what God has for us. And and we were created in His image, that that icon, that image of God. And so when He's talking to them that day, He says, Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but to God the things that are God's. Our our currency, this material world. He's saying that, that, that there's a part of that that is this world. We live in this world. We operate in this world. When you go to have lunch today, you're going to have to pay for your lunch. That is a part of our material world and that belongs to this world. But he says don't get confused with what belongs to God. This world did not create you. This world did not give you your body. It did not give you your mind. It did not give you your soul. You were not created in the image of America or North America or South or any other country. You were created in the image of God and give to God what is God's. Timothy, Paul said to Timothy, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, the seal of authentication and the foundation identifying who owned, who built, who is responsible. The Bible lets us know that we have been sealed, that that his image is on us. We have been sealed with him and that we are his. And the problem comes is when we get confused, when we start giving to this world what is God's. And we start thinking that the things of this world can replace that with God. Well, God, I'll give a a lot of money to the church. Well, that's a good thing for the ministry, right? But that that doesn't replace what God claims is His. Your heart, your mind, your soul. We don't give our heart and our soul to the things of this world. We do not love the world or the things that are of this world. What's the scripture saying? Why? Because your heart is to belong to God. It's not belong to sports. It's not to belong to career. It's not belong to other relationships. No, your heart belongs to God. Why? You were created in His image. So go ahead and give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but make sure you give to God the things that are His. The covenant I'll make with the house of Israel, Hebrews 8.10. After those days, says the Lord, I'll put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Uh, Paul said to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3, 2, 3, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ. Minister by us, not not written with the ink of... uh, with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tables of stone, tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh. That is of the heart. Over and over is this understanding is that God has put His image in us. He's put His name upon us. He's put His law, His word in our heart. Why? Because we belong to Him. And one of the dangers in our world is we're giving to our world what belongs to God. People are giving their heart, mind, and soul to the things of this world. It destroys everything. The Lord says, no, you're going to go out, you're going to live in this world, you're going to operate in this world. You do that correctly, that's, that's the world you live in. That's what Jesus did. Uh, whether it's paying taxes, Peter bringing a coin, down, whatever it is, he operated in that world. But there was never, never a question about what he came to do and who he was. 
came to fulfill the purpose, the mission. Came to do what the Father desired. Ladies and gentlemen, today on a preview weekend, as you consider the future, and I come to a close with our time, there is a tug that this world wants what belongs to God. This world wants you to give your heart and your soul to a career, to your hobbies, to your entertainment. Things that are supposed to be extracurricular, they want that to be the focus of your life. They want your identity to be in the things of this world. In fact, we see it all the time. People will say, well, I am a, I'm a carpenter. I'm a salesman. I'm an IT person. No, you're not. You might do IT. You might do carpentry. You might work in sales. But God never called you to be a salesperson. Don't get confused by what belongs to Caesar and what belongs to God. No, I'm a child of God that bears the image of God. I have his word written on the tables of st- in my heart of this flesh. I have the seal of the Holy Ghost upon my life. His name is upon me. I'm his child, and I'm going to give to God what is God's. He's going to have my heart. He's going to have my mind. He's going to have my soul, my strength. Why? Because I'm going to worship the Lord my God with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my strength. Why? Because these belong to him. His name should be on them. His image is on them. He has sealed it. remain standing so with the wonderful move of the Holy Ghost that has been here today and the amazing things that are going to happen tonight I want to shorten to just a brief time to ask you this question whose image are you bearing does anybody have a denarius yes okay hand it to me Whose image is on that? Oh, Caesar's. Well, when the master says today, Garrett, come here. Whose image is on you? I hope it's not something of this world. I hope it's not career, money, fame, fortune, recognition, sports, Nothing wrong with those things. Those are the things of this world. As long as it stays in the place it's supposed to stay in. But when it comes to us, the only image that we want people to see in us is to the one we serve, our King, our Lord. So I ask you today, whose image are you bearing? Whose image are you reflecting? When somebody comes and looks at you and takes a good look, who do they see? It's an old song, I think, Brother Pettigo said, but make me in your image. This understanding, this process of sanctification, make me in your image. I wonder throughout this building, we could take a moment and examine our lives. 
you need to kneel down where you're at, where you're standing, however. But let's examine for a moment and say, whose image are we reflecting? What is showing up in our life? Because Jesus looks. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. But make sure you're giving to God what's God's. Let's talk to the Lord for a few.